0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 63. Psalm 63. We should be back in 1 Corinthians soon. Notice that wasn't an exactly specific promise. Fitting the occasion of being the first sermon in 2020, I happened upon some Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation biblical counseling journals on my shelf in the office from 15 to 20 years ago, which included an article on Psalm 63 about how David learned to depend on the Lord while fleeing for his life from his son, Absalom, in the wilderness east of Jerusalem. And as I turned to this psalm, I realized that it not only fits the occasion of the new year, but also really deals with exactly what each one of us needs to hear as we navigate through life. The author of the article, Jeff Newman, made the scene come alive as he applied the text to each phase of life that we all go through. This article was only a couple of pages in this little biblical counseling journal. I actually got to speak to Jeff. He called after one day This was uh, Friday, and he was so gracious and was excited that we were going to go through this psalm. In fact, he even said that he used this article and his studies to end up getting a a doctorate at, at Westminster on this subject. And he wrote a book, which I had no idea, and it's titled... Dependence in the Wilderness, and um, there are some left. I think there was one left on one of the big websites, but they're around. Um, The book was a little longer than the article, and the article was insightful and fabulous with a great outline, but um, with his heart being in biblical counseling, he was able to apply these things in ways that are not exactly normal sometimes, but probably should be. If you're able, would you please stand as I read Psalm 63 from the English Standard Version. A Psalm of David, when he was in the wilderness of Judah, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I'd like someday to find out just how many of you have this psalm as one of the top five in your own personal lives, because it's up there. I just had the privilege of spending 12 wonderful days with most of my immediate family which included driving 16 straight hours to California and then 16 hours back over two days. There is a time difference. (laughs) Needless to say, the conversations that were covered in that time were a very wide spectrum of topics, as we heard from the youngest to the oldest throughout the trip. And now, in the comments coming up about these age differences or the phases of life that are to follow, please understand that these are painted with very broad strokes, so the descriptions for several different categories can go over the boundaries and apply to everyone. But as a typical New Year rolls around, somewhere in all the comments, laughter, conversations, and quotes of this great trip God blessed us with, the young let us know that a year takes forever to go by. And the old can't believe how fast the time flies. And that's why the young always seem to want to look forward and voice. What a pain it is to remember anything more than ten minutes ago. Everything that's important and exciting and hopeful seems to be where? Ahead of them. Us geezers don't have much of a problem looking back. Simply because we finally realize that most of our lives have already passed away. We're here, but it's going quick. So it's harder to look forward and face all the reality that we know may be coming. Instead there's a real effort to remember and sort through the events of the past. So you fellow older people, I won't disparage you by saying you're a geezer, but that's really true. Would you agree that sometime in the future Sometimes the future feels like f- seeing a convoy of 18 wheelers barreling towards you in your lane head on. Is that why we respond more and more just by wanting to get out of the way? And we know how to put on the brakes? Because what we see is a bombardment of details and technology and problems. And everybody we know, our age, going through different ones. So we start hitting the brakes hard and often. The young, meanwhile, are driving along and they don't want to look in the rearview mirror at all, which means they have a great desire to put as much distance as possible between them and the past. But I'm missing something, aren't I? The middle between the old and the young. What about those in the middle who seem to be caught in between these two extremes? It seems like they want to ride their brakes and keep the accelerator on the floor at the same time. This author I mentioned makes the comment that maybe that's why there's so much smoke coming out of their lives so much going on. And I was amazed. That's really, you know, a pretty good general description of all three. The young seemed to always be looking ahead for meaning in life. The old seemed to be examining the past to see if there was any meaning to it at all. And those in between seemed to be too busy breaking accelerating sometimes to even be able to think about the meaning of life. Maybe wishing they could, but man, there's a lot going on. Well, we just started a new, longer cycle in life this new year. Do you think God ordered his creation with so many cycles, daily, weekly, monthly, seasonal, yearly, the stages in life? Do you think he ordered that because he knows we need to constantly reevaluate and think about what it is we're doing so that we will renew our focus and purpose. What do you think? There's a reason there are cycles. In other words, do we need to make the most of the opportunity to begin a new year by thinking about what God has been teaching us the past year instead of just trying to forget it? And thinking about what God says about where we are right now, instead of just trying to get out of it, and thinking about what God says about our future, both immediately and farther off. We always need to keep learning how to look at and think about what happens in our life. We must be willing to look beyond our immediate or current situations to really think through things. Why? Because our God has very creative ways to take us outside of ourselves, does he not? I mean, the past two weeks, God has probably taken you outside of yourself more than the last six months. Literally. And he does that so that we will see the bigger picture, which includes what he's doing in people all over the world, not just us. So how does Psalm 63 help us to think more clearly and honestly about what life really means? Because it does. But how? Even though... Believers should be sure about their eternal destination. All of us tend to want to get there without any trouble or sorrows, which is rather foolish. We don't pay attention to what goes on around, or maybe we don't want to because we know that's not possible. The young just want to get there now without a long trip. The old are already tired, just want to get there without any more detours, heartaches, pain, tickets, road damage, bed weather, stomach problems, or flight changes. And if they don't get those things, you hear about it, don't you? The in-betweens just go and go and go and sometime along the way start wondering why in the world they decided to go and go and go and do all this in the first place. All of us probably long for that time of being in the presence of the Lord, our Lord, for good. But we also want something else, do we not? We want smooth sailing as much as possible on the way with as little effort as possible. David wrote this psalm when he was literally in the wilderness having to flee from his own son, Absalom, who was in the process of trying to take his throne. Think about that. David was not young anymore. In this context, in the crucible of an estranged relationship with his son. And if you've ever taken a trip to Israel and gone east of Jerusalem, it is starkly scary what happens to the landscape in just a couple of miles. And that's where David was. He was there two times in his life. First time somebody else was chasing him. What was his name? Saul. This is probably the second time when Absalom rose up and he had to go. You've got to keep this context in mind as you read this psalm. It's what makes it so amazing. What about your wilderness? What does it involve? Can you learn how to grow in dependence upon your God? See, David had to grow in his dependence upon the Lord. That's what this psalm is all about. Growing in dependence upon the Lord. But there's a catch here, isn't there, because of the context. Growing in dependence upon the Lord As he traveled through the wilderness on his way to glory. So I just read it. You read it. What do you think? This is an amazing look into what God does in someone and how we can respond. What does your wilderness look like? Can I just list the things without everybody just getting completely depressed on the, whatever day this is in January? Financial ruin or just the weekly pressure of it. Betrayal or disappointment of friends. Desertion or abandonment of any kind of relationship with your spouse. Sorrow of seeing a child turn their back on God. Chronic or inconvenient physical pain, death of a loved one, terminal illness or slow loss of abilities, especially with aging. This list is endless. Okay, the Psalm shows us, especially, three things that David was committed to pursuing. While he was in the wilderness, are you on board? Whatever you're going through, or maybe you've been through something you could call wilderness, in some sense, this life, all of it, is a wilderness. Wherever you are, are you interested to hear how David went through his literal being in the wilderness? in this tragic situation with a son. Not just the guy down the block, but the king. The king. Verse 1, O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. That hits home when you just realize, even shallowly, where he was. The first thing David was committed to pursuing was to seek God earnestly. To earnestly seek for God is described here in terms of being a dehydrated and starving animal desperately looking for water and food in this wilderness where there was no water or food. The thing that struck Marty and I and Megan, who was with us when we went in 2000 to Israel to see her sister Trisha, was east of Jerusalem, there is nothing, literally. The panhandle looks green and forested compared to east of Jerusalem, rolling landscape with nothing. It's striking how nothing looks. Dehydration and starvation motivates a person to desperately do anything possible to stay alive. To recognize our desperate spiritual need is to depend on God and that should be motivating He thirsts and faints for God, meaning he longs and yearns for God, just like a dehydrated or starving person literally is consumed with the desire for water and food. Consumed by that desire. Why? Because they know their life is on the line. Look at verse 8a. My soul clings to you. David declares he holds firmly to God even in this situation. Does it take this before we finally will do this? A situation like this before we finally learn? Was David tempted to despair, to wallow in self pity? What do you think? course. All of us would be. Yet even in this crushing and horrible circumstance, he holds firmly to his God. Listen to Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. thirst for, and yearn for, in the wilderness of your life. It is embarrassing to even admit what we seek thirst and yearn for in the wilderness of our lives. Isn't it? What do you bind yourself to, or hold on to, How long does it take for you to demonstrate your dependency upon God? That's a tough question. You demonstrate dependency upon God by purposing to seek Him earnestly, which is the first thing David was doing. And these hard questions are hard to answer clearly and honestly, aren't they? Jeff Newman in his article really helps us understand this. How can you correctly identify your underlying desires during the tough time of your life? How do you do that? First, figure out if your desires are sinful. You do that by asking yourself a simple question. What do you seek after instead of thirsting for your God? Need some help? Finding the perfect get-rich-quick scheme, sexual escapades or fantasies, escaping reality through alcohol or drugs... Bullying or using people to get your way or what you want. That list could go on forever too, couldn't it? What we seek after instead of thirsting for God. And in those kind of situations, guess what happens? God reveals what those desires are. And all of us go through this. Maybe way too many times in our lives. And secondly, to figure this out, if your desires in the tough times are not sinful in and of themselves, ask yourself if you crave those things as much as so much that they diminish or replace the hunger for God Himself. Because you can go after good things so much that you place God way out of the way. You do this by considering the answer to this question. When do you get worried? When do you get anxious? When do you get fearful? When do you get angry? When do you get better? Most of us are going, Way too much on each one of those. Where do your sinful responses in those things reveal that you seek after your own self-interest more than you seek after God? How many of us would just roll over out there east of Jerusalem cursing God? as we do it because we didn't get what we wanted there's some examples here what happened the last time your child disobeyed did you respond with angry words and miss the opportunity to point your child to Christ And every parent in here is going "Oh, oh this is hard do we have to start the year off like this asking these questions it did not make any difference what kind of value you made. If you did it all, you're, you've probably already broken them. So just think about this. This is life. We all have these issues. How about this? How did you respond when your spouse failed to listen carefully to the events of your day? I'm bleeding too. What went on inside you the last time you paid the bills or looked at how little your retirement would be? I can't hide it when I get mad. My face turns red. Some of you don't have that problem. Your, your complexion is different. Do you understand what I'm saying? We can probably say yeah, yeah to all these. How did you respond the last time that you felt overlooked at work, church, or with the family? Yeah, we know because we've all done it. Our responses in situations like these reveal the truth about what our desires really are. That's the point. The underlying desire with your child may have been, it could be a lot of stuff, but it may have been power to demonstrate your power over your children or your household. The underlying desire with your spouse's situation may have been your desire for love and peace. The underlying desire with your finances may have been for comfort or control, finally. The underlying desire with being overlooked may have been for respect and prominence, even. Do you see how those desires compete with or against our desire for God alone? It's a lifelong learning process, is it not? We demonstrate trust in God when we hunger and thirst for God above everything else. More than power, more than love, more than comfort, more than control. To seek God in the midst of our wilderness, whatever it may be, is what God uses to transform us into the image of his son. And we call that sanctification. And God calls each and every one of us to it. So the first thing David was committed to pursuing was to seek God earnestly. It's a good word, isn't it? Earnestly. Not putting on a show, not faking it, not only in front of other people. Earnestly. When you're alone, when you're with people. Earnestly. Learning what that means. What was the second thing we see in this psalm? Second was to reflect on God continually. You can't fix your thoughts on who God is and what he's done if you don't desire him above everything else. And we need to learn that over time in our walks. Being in a tough wilderness situation, literally, is sometimes the only way we learn this. That's humbling. Why? Because it's so often the only way we come to the end of ourselves and learn the hard but gracious lesson that we must and can depend on him alone. So he brings us to the end of ourselves in our life. True, everybody's got a story, maybe bunches of them. And it always ends up the same way, does it not? Finally, I realized, fill in the blank, and I trusted God and called out to him. There was no other place to look. And I found him faithful and sufficient. And it changed my priorities. And I fell in love with him. That's the sweetest part. Look at what David says. Let me go through the verses and just point this out. In verse 1, the first part. Oh, God, you are whose God? My God. That's up close and personal. Verse 2, David remembered God's power and glory. Verse 3, David remembered God's steadfast love, which he says is what? Better than life. Do we believe that? David remembered in verse 5 that God satisfied his soul. And he uses a description that we can all relate with. Maybe in our culture we'd change the uh, adjectives of this a little bit. But more than fine food, although the text says something about a different kind of fine food, what they thought fine food was, which doesn't fit current diet plans and strategies, okay? But the, you get the point. Better than fine food. David remembered in verse 7 the first part, that God has been his help. And in verse 8, David remembered that God is the one who will ultimately deliver him. Or his right hand upholds him. And then in verse 9 and 11, God is the one who will ultimately deliver him. In other words, God's justice will prevail here at the end of the psalm. Which is very important in his current position, would you agree? His own son had chased him out of Jerusalem, and if Absalom would have attacked him then, he'd have been gone. But God intervened and kind of made Absalom hang around for a while before he went, and then he got David back in position. Do you think he was thrilled? We're talking about his own son. So, what did David reflect on continually in his wilderness? That God is holy, that God is powerful, glorious, full of steadfast love, and that God satisfies and protects and delivers and rules with holy justice. Is that what I think about when I'm in a wilderness situation? This doesn't come naturally. Does it? Sometimes we have to reap the consequences of our responses in these situations to finally understand it. And nothing will do that more than anger, bitterness, and evil thoughts. So can we also reflect on God like this in any tough time, wilderness we may be in? Is that possible or do you think it's impossible? Yes, we can. This is the new year part. 2020 can be the year we learn how to walk with Christ through anything. Or maybe start or maybe continue or maybe get back to walking with Christ through anything through anything instead of operating in panic mode just wanting to get out of every difficult circumstance which is how most Americans are being raised now do y'all agree we think we're not but we catch the disease as well Remember, Christ went through his own wilderness as he lived and died on this earth. He understands. Again, Hebrews chapter 2 and chapter 4. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Do we want his help? In chapter 4, verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. That's who I want to go to. Who else can we go to that can say that? Nobody. As we've seen here with David, This battle is inside of us. It's what we think and how we think. How can we learn to use what's going on that troubles us to remind us of God's character and work? That's really the bottom line, is it not? How can we use the trouble that we're going through, the wilderness, the things that hurt, the things that take hard work, to remind us of God's character and work. Well, we can do just what David did. What did he do? He transformed this desert wilderness that he was in into word pictures of his own dependence upon God, seeking, thirsting, fainting, or yearning, etc. His lack of food and water, sustenance, was transformed into a word picture of God satisfying his soul with fat and rich food. David recognized his greatest need was not to stay alive physically, but to feed his soul truths about God in his horrific trial that he was going through. Did he have any other choices? Suicide rates are alarmingly increasing all over our country. and There's a reason for that. David would have been prime candidate. Didn't want to go through the humiliation of being replaced by a bitter and angry son. He opted for this. He chose to think about the truth about the God that he did believe in. You notice there's no word in here about Goliath. But did he remember the times that God had been faithful to him? Oh, yeah. Do we do that? It's amazing how our memories completely just blank out about how God has been faithful when we get into tough times. But we must learn how to do this. We'll recognize God's growing us and sanctifying us when we see tough wilderness times. And this sounds crazy, but this is the way God works. If we see tough times as opportunities to learn more about His character, grace, His faithfulness, and work. And we probably won't see that much if we're not looking for it. In other words, when we connect the dots of His promise to work in us to make us more like Christ with every kind of circumstance in life that promises, that presents an opportunity to depend on him in these new ways, those tough times. Our love for him and his word will grow. You'll see the connection. Because first, you've got a true view of your own sinfulness outside of trusting him. And you'll realize that you're never going to get it all completely yourself. And so you learn to depend on him and he provides in ways that are so creative and maybe aren't what you wanted at all, but that end up being the best. The best example of this in my life is you. I hope you all know some of this. I don't want to spend any more time talking about it but in the darkest time one of the darkest i had no idea who you were we tried to get around amarillo as fast as possible and god worked out circumstances that now for almost 20 years now no 19 yeah no 20 bonnie knows Um, No idea of how a church that wants to love God can honor him and care for one another. So Paul talks about living examples. I tell people about you guys. Because we're not perfect. But the difference is that most of us know that. (laughs) And if we trust God with it, it's amazing what he does. So when we connect those dots, our love for him grows. And in verse 5 at the end, David says amen to this truth so much that he writes something amazing. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed, that he didn't have in the wilderness, and meditate on you in the watches of the night, which he had plenty of. The first thing David did was commit to pursuing to seek God earnestly. The second thing David did was committing to pursuing God was reflect on God continually. And the third thing David was committed to pursuing was to praise God submissively. Verse 3, my lips will praise you. Verse 4, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. Verse 5, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. And verse 7, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. Verse 11, but the king shall rejoice in God. He and the guys with him didn't sit out there, Oh, woe's me. My son's out to kill me, replace me. How can we get him back? Can we get out of here? Look what he's doing. My lips will praise you. He's in the middle of this situation. So consider again the place and the situation was that David was in. And the great temptation for him to give in to grumbling and complaining and getting down on himself and God. But David chose to seek God earnestly, to reflect on God continually, and to praise God Submissively, what do we tend to talk about when we find ourselves in the wilderness? Oh, we can't even bring it up, hardly, can we? If you're not sure, stop and listen to yourself and others. What are the topics of conversations? Where is God in those conversations? Whose concerns become our primary focus, ours or God's? There are several reasons why we're in the wilderness so much, isn't there? Well, one is just because we live in a sinful world with other sinners and there's a whole lot of suffering. Another one is because we ourselves are sinners. And in David's case, there was a lot of both. True? We know from the biblical account that David spoiled and favored Absalom and never really confronted or dealt with Absalom's sin as his father. David realized all this, his own failures as a father, but this realization did not keep him from depending on God in the wilderness. And every parent in here knows that the first thing that comes into our heads when we know we fail and do it continually, is I can't, I can't help my kid grow up because I blew it. Is that true? David was not a great parent. Do you understand that? And yet here he is, getting older, and he's depending on God in the wilderness. His failings might have actually caused him to depend on God even more. Has that ever happened to us? Since he had so many times relied upon his own devices, which often brought more heartache and disaster. That's a hard lesson, and sometimes it takes us our whole lives to learn that. In other words, the more we realize our own sin... And God's forgiveness, the more we trust and depend on Him. That sounds clicheus, but it is not. It is truth. Psalm 63 is an incredible gift of God to each one of us. Especially as we walk in our own tough wilderness, whatever it may be, whenever it may be. So to the young, the old, the in-between, wherever you are, since we trust in God, in his word for our eternal destiny, why don't we also learn in 2020 to better trust in God for the journey to that destination? For all of you who are in Sunday school, this seems like an appendix to today's session with chance. Colossians 2, 6 and 7, Therefore, as you receive Christ... So walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, <clears throat> abounding in thanksgiving. In Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And I can already hear all of our hearts going, when are we going to get there? Tomorrow, let's get there fast. We can trust him with what he has, every one of you, all of us. Whatever's going on, whatever you're going through, no matter how much it hurts, God knows. And he's going to use it, if he hasn't already, to make you more like your Savior. If you can't thank anything else, thank him for that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a new year. We thank you that from your perspective, your goal is to reveal yourself to us and help us see your revelation, who you really are. And Lord, we have trouble thanking you for Anything that's tough, especially the stuff that really goes deep, that we're so scared about, that we're so hurt over, that we battled our whole lives. Lord, even those things you use to transform us in your grace, only through Christ Jesus our Lord. Help us not only come to that place ourselves, but to be voices of encouragement to those we know who struggle just as we do. We ask that in Christ's precious name. Amen. Would you please stand for our benediction? Now this benediction comes from a couple of psalms after this. Psalm 67, 1 and 2. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us. And then there's that great word, Selah, which means pause and think about that for a second. Then, that your way may be known on earth, O Lord, your saving power among all nations. That's what we're here for. Amen. You're dismissed.